I'm excited to share a message. I, uh, I, I'm going to be speaking from the book of Acts chapter number four. So if you do have your Bibles here this morning, please turn with me to Acts chapter number four and verse seven. We're going to be reading this together, a couple of verses this morning. Uh, we are in the middle of our series on the Acts, which is a look at the people in the book of Acts, these believers, these very ordinary people that God used to do extraordinary things. And we've been looking over the last few weeks just exactly how God uses ordinary people like us to do great things in a city and in a community and, uh, and, and, to, and something that has eternal impact and, and everlasting value. And, and so it's been such a good study over the last few weeks. And we're up to Acts chapter number four today. And we're going to read Acts 4 verse 7. Just to give you a little bit of context there, what we dealt with last week was how uh, Peter and John are on their way to go and pray. And on their way to pray, they find a crippled man laying, lying down by the gate called Beautiful. And, and he's asking for money and they say, look, we don't have anything in ourselves to give you. But what we do have is a gift that God has given us, the faith to believe in the name of Jesus and His grace and His ability. So why don't you just get up and walk? And this man gets healed, and this causes a massive commotion, and people come running from everywhere because they know this guy. He had been lying at that gate for about 40 years, the Bible tells us. And so this massive commotion is created. People are gathering around. They all want to know how this man is made to walk and through whose power he's been, he's been healed. And so Peter sees this opportunity, and he begins to preach. He says, well, if you guys want to know, then let me tell you. And that's why it's never a good idea to ask a preacher a question. Because the, the, what you have to ask yourself is, how much time do I have to listen to this answer, right? Because that's how preachers do. Sometimes I actually have to stop myself. I'm like, okay, wait, wait, I've been preaching now. And uh, so they ask, and Peter sees the people around, and he takes this opportunity, and he begins to share the gospel. And P Peter's messages throughout the book of Acts pretty much follow the same basic formula or, or uh, basic steps that he, he shares with him. He goes, first of all, Jesus was really God, but you all killed him and you should repent. And that's pretty much what Peter says every time. Yes, that Jesus, he was God, but God raised him. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead, and you should repent, and you'll have new life. And so Peter does such a good job of preaching this message that he gets arrested. I'm hoping still once in my life I will preach a message so good that people will call the cops and uh, take me away. Take this guy away. That was too good. And um, so he gets thrown in prison, and uh, he's out there, and, and, and along with, with John, obviously. And the next day, they call all the authorities together, and all of the people gather around, and they bring Peter and John out of prison, and now they're going to question them. So that's where we pick it up in verse 7. It says, When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? How did you heal this man? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. We've spoken so much about the Holy Spirit is where... Uh, God's presence and power within us, um, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him... This man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. 
And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name that can do what the name of Jesus does in our lives. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, that's a nice way of saying something, because how do you perceive that somebody's uneducated? <laughs> it's just like, I can see you probably haven't been to school. You know, that's quite an insult. So they, they look at Peter and John, and, they, and they're like, but these guys obviously are uneducated, common men. They were astonished. When they saw that these uneducated, ordinary, common men were bold, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. In Hebrews 10 and verse 35, just another verse I want to share with you this morning before we pray. 10 verse 35, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't throw away your confidence. Keep your confidence. Let's just pray together this morning and uh, we'll get into these scriptures a little bit. Jesus, we want to thank you this morning for your presence. We want to thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We want to thank you for, uh, God, how you're speaking to us and, and molding us and, and, and leading us, God. We thank you that this morning is another opportunity for us to receive from your, your spirit, God, to receive from your word. And we thank you, God, that you are causing us to believe in greater measure in the finished work of the cross and uh, walk in a greater level of authority, Jesus, as we understand what you have done for us. So we thank you for that this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for every person that is here. And, uh, and God, we give you all the glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning I uh, was up really, really early. I was up uh, just uh, about half past four this morning. Uh, because I was doing a wedding. I did a wedding yesterday in Dahlstrom, or just outside of Dahlstrom, and so obviously I wouldn't miss anchor uh, Sunday morning for anything, so I got into the car nice and early and, and started driving through the mistiest roads you've ever seen or haven't seen uh, because of the mist, but, um, but I was driving along, and uh, as it got lighter, uh, closer to Joburg, I saw a sight that is pretty common for anybody traveling on our roads around the city, and that is some, some metro cops or uh, traffic officers uh, along the side pulling people off of the road. Now, I don't know if you have the same experience that I do when I see metro police or uh, even anybody crossing the road. I don't know why that makes me nervous. You know, just anybody kind of walking across that you think may be a metro cop. You know what I'm talking about? Just like, oh, that's, oh my word, I'm in trouble. Oh no, wait, okay, no, it's just a guy crossing the road. <laughs> then later on, you're like, okay, no, they've actually got the full fluorescent vests and you see, okay, this is the real deal. It's actually a cop. And there's a nervousness. I don't know if anybody is ever truly confident driving up to a roadblock. I don't know if every, anybody's ever truly confident. It doesn't matter how confident and how righteous you think you are and how you might you know that all your tickets are up to date and there's nothing that the government has against you. But when a guy with a fluorescent vest steps into the road, we all doubt ourselves. In that moment, we're all like, what? Am I a criminal? Let me just think quickly. Like, <laughs> could I go to jail possibly for anything? And it just erodes your confidence in a moment when you see somebody stepping into the road. And this morning, the guy did step into the road. And then the best thing happened. He pulled off the guy behind me, um, which was really awesome because I didn't want to stop. But it's almost as if we have enough bad things stored up in our lives that we really are guilty of 
that when somebody steps out, an authority figure steps up with his hand up, we, we almost automatically feel that sense of guilt. I must be guilty of something. We're so aware subconsciously of the fact that we are imperfect people and that we've all made many, many mistakes. I don't know if any of you have ever been called in by your boss or been called in by your boss recently, but when you get that call, and normally you can pick up something in the tone of their voice. You know, it's the same tone of voice that your parents used when you were younger to call you in. You know, there's, there's the, hey, come over, let's chat, and then there's that other tone. It's the same tone my wife still sometimes uses on me. You know, it's just like, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble. And when you get called in by your boss or, or, or when you were called in by your parents, the first thought is not, what have I done wrong? But which of the things that I've done wrong do they know about, right? Like, oh, is it that? Oh, maybe it's that. It must be that. You know, and you, you know that there are several things that you are guilty of. And uh, what this does is that it can so easily erode our confidence in life. A guilty conscience walking around with the baggage of of. of, of and the bondage of, of sin in your life can rob us of our confidence in every single situation we walk into. And that's why this morning I want to share a message entitled, With Great Boldness. Because here we see in the book of Acts, chapter number four, a bunch of men who were not perfect. They were uneducated, they were just common men, but they have great boldness. And how is it that we, as people who are sinful and are flawed and have so many various areas of our lives that are imperfect, how can we have confidence not only before people, but for, before God Himself? It's all fun and games until you stand before God Himself. It's like it's, it's, you're so confident driving 140 on the highway until you see that guy. Then you're just slamming brakes, and you, all of a sudden you realize, okay, I've been, I'm being stupid. I should just slow down. And so there's a, there's a moment where all of our fallacies of I've got it together, and I, and I know what I'm doing, and I'm, and I'm confident that I'm a good person, where that gets challenged, and where we start to see who we really are, and it can erode our confidence. It can rob us of our confidence in life. In Proverbs 28 verse 1, it says, The wicked flee when no one pursues. The wicked flee when no one pursues. Literally, nobody is chasing them, but they are running away. But the righteous are bold as a lion. The wicked flee when, when no one pursues. That is what life without Jesus is like. It's a constant running away. And everything that people who don't know Jesus, and we've all been there, everything that we run to is basically a running away from our own guilt and our own shame and, and, and a feeling of, of not being worthy and not having confidence. So we go, well, what can I find my confidence in? Maybe if I earn enough money, or maybe if I can have the perfect relationship, or maybe if I can do this. Even doing good things sometimes is simply us trying to, to make our way through the insecurity of life and this feeling of, of unworthiness that we often carry around with us. So if we are all sinful, and if we've all done things wrong, and we're all imperfect in various areas, how can we have confidence before God? Now, the Bible tells us that we 
can boldly approach the throne of grace. With confidence, we can go before God in our time of need. doesn't matter what you need. You can just boldly go before Him. But sometimes even prayer to us becomes a challenge. I'm just going to be very transparent with you this morning that many times in my life, I've wanted to pray to ask God a simple thing, but I feel unworthy of actually asking. So I begin a very long worship session prior to my prayer to kind of feel as if I've built up enough credits so that I can actually get to the thing that I started the prayer for in the first place. And many, many times when I have said amen, I think to myself, I wish God could really do that for me, but I don't deserve it. And maybe some of you have been in that place where you're going, God, I I really want this, but I know I don't deserve it. Our own faults and, and flaws can rob our confidence before God. We also live in a very broken world that is constantly telling us that we will never be loved. The world that we live in is, is, is constantly putting value on what we can do and what we own and making it really difficult for any person to feel as if they truly have worth. Because they say if you don't look a certain way, if you don't own a certain amount of stuff, and if you don't do certain things, then you're not really worthy of being loved, of people's attention. And so it's a, it's a world in which it's, it's very easy for us to feel insecure. But then Proverbs goes on and it says, but the righteous are bold as a lion. People who are righteous have a great confidence. And I don't know if you've ever seen a physical lion before. Living in South Africa, you probably should have. But they are extremely confident. And if you've ever stood face to face, I have, but there was a fence, fortunately. If you've ever stood face to face with a lion, I should have made that story better. I should have left out the fence bit. But if you've ever stood face to face with a lion, you'll know that there is an incredible boldness. You can understand What the writer of the proverb was saying when he said, the righteous are bold as lions. I remember one morning being in the Kruger with my wife and we went out and we found this lion early in the morning and he was doing his patrol. And when we came around, he started roaring properly, just letting everybody know this is his territory. And he started roaring. And so our guide was kind of uh, emulating and copying his, his roar and it got the lion mad. So he was roaring even louder. And there was this back and forth between us and the lion. And eventually I could literally feel my chest vibrating from that sound of a lion's roar that can be heard eight kilometers far. God puts something, there's a reason why Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. God puts something in that lion that speaks about the kind of confidence that we as believers should have. In this life, we need to keep our confidence. As believers, we have a great confidence that makes us bold like lions. Bold before God, bold before man. Being able to, the Bible says that those who who believe in God and who trust in His name will do great exploits in His name. 
because we know that we're in His hands. So, so how do we, as people who can so easily feel insecure in this world and unworthy in this world and, 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 and guilty before God, how do we become bold like lions? How does God make us bold? How does He make us brave? I believe the first and foremost thing that we all need to come to believe in our lives is how much God loves us. That's where our boldness comes from. I know that as a child, no matter where I went in life and no matter what challenges I faced, I knew that I had parents who loved me. So even if nobody else does, which I hope wasn't the case, I always knew that there was somebody that truly loves me. It's amazing how people can change if they simply know that there is one person on the planet that absolutely unconditionally loves them. And when it comes to God, the true understanding, and this is something that we, we hear, it sounds like, it sounds so simple, that God loves us. Yeah, we know, that's point one, we all got that. But often for us to receive that love is harder than, than what we want to acknowledge, because we still feel unworthy of it. We still feel like we have to earn it. We still feel like we need to, to, to do something to deserve the love, to deserve the answer to prayer, to deserve God's presence in our lives, to, to deserve something. And, and, and we feel like even if we're looking for a breakthrough and we're wanting God to answer our prayers, we're going, God, okay, what must I do, God? What must I do so that you can bless me? And when we feel like we fall short in those areas, our confidence just gets eroded further and further and further until many of us have come to that place where we're ready to give up. It's going, well, it's not going to happen. But the Bible says, keep your confidence because there's a great reward in your confidence. Where does that confidence come from? It comes from knowing the love of God. And the love of God is not like the love of man. As people, it's easy for us to love lovely things and lovely people. <laughs> but God doesn't just love lovely things and lovely people. He loves everybody. He loves every person in every situation. And it's easy to love something that, that, that is dear to your heart. It's easy to love something that is beautifully made or beautifully designed or, 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 or beautiful people. Those things are, have like a natural kind of, of, of way of drawing our affection from us. But there are certain things that seem harder to love. And because we know ourselves well, when we look in the mirror, and I'm sorry for being so blatantly real this morning, but when you look in the mirror, sometimes we look at it and go, how could God love me? Knowing what I know about myself, how could He possibly use me? How could He possibly have a plan for my life? And our confidence can wane so quickly. But the love that God has for us is a, it's an unwavering love. Because the love of God is not determined by what we have or by what we do. The love of God is dependent on the character of the lover rather than the performance of the beloved. God loves us because of who God is. He's a good, loving God. And so there's nothing that you can do to deserve it. 
and there's nothing that you can do to lose it. His love doesn't go up and down. I, I was thinking about this uh, over the weekend when I was watching rugby, which was that uh, to be a Stormers supporter, and I'm mentioning this specifically because Chris is a Stormers supporter, even though he has never lived in Cape Town. I just want to throw that out there. I don't know why. I don't, I don't understand it, Chris. I don't. But he supports the Stormers. But the love of God is not like being a Stormers supporter. Because stormers are easy to support because normally, usually, they just play good rugby all of the time. They have great backline movements and great loose forwards, and they score great tries. So it's easy to love the stormers, except it's getting a little bit harder now, especially after last weekend when they lost to the cheetahs and they only just scraped by yesterday. And, and, and so, you know, that goes up and down, being a, a stormer supporter. But God's love is a, is a lot more like being a Lions supporter like I have been for the last 30 years of my life. Because to love the lions, you know it's not based on performance. You know that it's not because they're a great team. It's just because you love the lions. So it's much more a, a picture of my loyalty and persistence and good faith than it is in the actual team of the lions, right? So that's what the love of God is like. It's, it's consistent no matter how we perform. And this kind of love, when we experience it, it changes us. That's what this kind of consistent love, when, when you think that you have to deserve love, and in your worst moment, and that's when people begin to understand the grace of God. It's not normally when they're doing well and uh, their family is, is healthy and, and things in their lives are, are looking good. Normally, it's when people are at their most broken and probably just after they have failed in the biggest way that they've ever failed before. And it's in those moments that the love of God becomes apparent to us. Because in those moments, and I've experienced this so many times in my life, God just he just lavishly pours his love out over you. And you're going, stop it, God. I've, look what I've just done. I don't deserve it. And, and the moment you say that, he just pours out some more love. Where sin abounds, the grace of God abounds so much more. And when people understand that love, what happens is it changes something in us. It really does cause a shift in our thinking and in our believing and and. And it starts to shape our identity differently. Where we viewed ourselves before as this failure and as the sinner and as this person who has done things wrong and keeps doing these things wrong and fails in this area and who will never amount to these things and doesn't have or own these things. When we, we've thought about ourselves according to our failures, now the scripture speaks to us and God's love speaks to us and the Holy Spirit sheds the love of God abroad in our hearts and all of a sudden we go, we are God's beloved. We are the one who Jesus loves. I would really encourage you to say that to yourself every single day. I am the one who Jesus loves. I am the one who Jesus loves. It doesn't make sense. Don't try to know you're thinking, but wait a minute. Don't try and make sense. It doesn't make sense. You're not worthy of it. But he doesn't love you because you're worthy. You're worthy because he loves you. He doesn't love you because you're valuable. You're valuable because He loves you. He creates that value in us by loving us. If you've ever had something small that was insignificant for everybody else, but to you it had great value, you create the value 
by loving that thing. And that's what God does when he loves us. He creates value in us by loving us. This is the incredible, overwhelming, powerful, complete, and total love of God that shapes our identity from going, we're failures, to going, I'm loved. And what rises up is confidence. In a world that's telling you why you shouldn't be loved, knowing who you are, knowing your value, knowing your significance, knowing your worth before God, causes us to have great confidence. And I love the fact that looking at, at Peter and John, they were uneducated and untrained men, common people, but they had confidence. Why? They didn't have confidence in what they had done, in the amount of hours they had studied, in the amount of things they possessed, in, in the careers that they had built. No, they had confidence in one thing because they came to know the love that God has for them. And that's what produces true confidence in us. That's what changes us fundamentally. That's what makes us bold as lions. And it's so important that I say here that self-righteousness will only ever make you confident for a moment. If your confidence is based on how well you have read your Bible this week or how many prayers you have said or how little you have sinned, the moment you sin, your confidence will go down. The moment you miss a prayer or a prayer time, your confidence will, will begin to, to diminish. So our confidence is not based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus has done on the cross for every one of us. Only through uh, true righteousness do we get true boldness. And the gospel gives us true boldness and true faith because it offers us true righteousness. The gospel says that Jesus died to make us right with God. He went to the cross so that we can now have that great boldness to walk boldly into his throne room of grace in our time of need. The Bible uses the word justified. That those whom God loved, he died for, and those whom he died for have been justified from their sins. And that word justified means just as if you've never sinned. So when God has justified you from your sins, it means that through the cross, Jesus has made you, the Bible says over and over again, perfect and holy, just as if you've never sinned. That's where our confidence comes from. We're not held back by our shame or our guilt any longer. In 1 John 3 verse 21, it says, Beloved, if, see it calls, uh, just catch that, John calls them beloved. He says, you are the, the ones who are loved. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. That's how we have confidence before God is, is when you understand what God has done for you. You understand what the cross meant, that your sin has been taken away. Your punishment, and that's when Jesus died, Let's just be honest, none of us were alive yet, so none of us had sinned. So don't think that the moment you receive, accept Jesus, he dies for all of your past sins, but your future sins are yet unforgiven. Because when he died, none of, you hadn't even committed them yet. So when Jesus died for us, he died for all of your sins, past, present, and future. Great confidence. My guilt is removed. 
Do I still experience the effects of my sin? Yes. I don't want to walk around sinning because it hurts me. It hurts other people. It causes complications in my life. I don't want to sin. But I can have great confidence that when I do, Jesus has already paid the price. I have an advocate with the Father who is pleading my case saying, but God, I've already died for him. I've already paid the price. And God brings down the hammer of judgment and says, okay, not guilty. So when these people saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And Peter and John had no natural reason to be confident in this situation. I just want you to picture it. They're in front of every religious ruler in Jerusalem, one of the most religious places of the day. Rulers from every different kind of sect and religion and, and, and all the, you know, the guys that know the scriptures off by heart, they're all there. Along with thousands of people, at the end of Peter's sermon, 5,000 people got saved. So there were a few people there that day. And in the midst of that, not because Peter's educated or because there's anything in him, but because of the Holy Spirit and, the, and his understanding of the gospel, he stands up and he is able to declare things in such, with such a boldness and an authority that people are literally astonished by it. And so all of a sudden, these guys go, this is not normal. These religious leaders, they go, it says they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized it. And I believe that when we walk knowing that we are significant, you can just see a person that is secure and secure with humility. You can see a person that's, that's fronting. That's normally insecurity that's fronting as security or, or whatever it might be. But you can see a person who is just humbly secure. And the most secure people I've ever known in my life have been just these simple people who have come to understand their significance and worth is settled in Christ. Nothing can diminish my value, regardless of what people might think or say. Or Nothing can diminish who I am in Christ. And so they walk with an air of confidence, albeit through humility. There is, this person is just so, I can recognize that there's something different. People begin to recognize it. And they want to ask, so what, what, what is your secret? What do you do? What do you? People begin to see. They'll see if you've been with Jesus. Because that is the effects of a relationship with Jesus. When you understand your righteousness, people can see that in spite of your imperfections, there is a boldness. And what I've noticed in my life is that the more confident I've become through the gospel the less seriously I've been able to take myself and life in general. And that's something that actually does happen. The more confident you become in what Christ has done, you relax. Because <laughs> everything isn't up to me anymore. I don't have to make every single thing happen. I, I trust in Jesus and I rest. And you're able to enjoy life and savor the great things that God has put in every one of our lives. Be grateful when you wake up in the morning and, and when you live your, your, your daily lives. There's, a, there's an ease that comes with it because we're able to take ourselves less seriously. And there's, a, there's that spirit that comes forth from us. 
the closer we get to Jesus. We're able to enjoy life more and most importantly, live for others more. Because when you're not constantly focused on yourself, you actually get the opportunity to focus on others. When you're not constantly obsessed with how is this reflecting on me, you stop worrying about how it reflects on you and you start just focusing simply on the people around you. So it actually does change everything. It gives us this confidence before God. And we can pray and we can, we can even ask God for that confidence to go and share His Word with people, to go and share the good news. We see how, uh, I'm not going to read it this morning for the sake of time, but if you go on in chapter number 4 of, of the book of Acts, eventually because of the, of the people that got saved and the pressure, the authorities release uh, Peter and John and they go back to the rest of the Christians and they're praying together. So the first thing that they do, because they were threatened, they threatened Peter and John and then released them, they start praying and they're going, God, these guys are serious. In this city... Not long ago, they killed Jesus, and now they're breathing threats against us. So it's not trivial. This is for real. And so what do they pray for? In that moment, I would probably go, just protect me, Jesus. Just give me a, a way out of this city to the next city. You know, I would just be, but they go, no, God, we pray that you would make us bold. We pray that you would give us boldness for what? To share your word that we won't be intimidated, that we won't back down, that we won't be threatened, but that we would go and share. And we don't really face the, you know, that kind of persecution today. But it can still be one of the most daunting things, sharing your faith. And why is it daunting? Because some of us don't feel worthy of sharing our faith. Because we feel like our lives are not perfect enough to be an example of what a Christian should be. So we don't tell people about Jesus in case they turn around and go, but you don't do that. So they pray for boldness. And the Bible says that the place where they prayed was shaken. It's like an earthquake. All of a sudden, this room starts to shake. Now, that's a prayer meeting. Another thing I'm hoping for pretty soon when we're up here praying before a service on a Sunday morning that, I don't know, the whole place will just shake. I'm just really hoping for that at one point. And, and I'm just thinking about these disciples because they're up in this, in this room and they're praying. And the ground starts to shake. And the last time, just a few months earlier, the last time they felt the ground shake was when Jesus was dying on the cross. The Bible says when he breathed his last, the ground began to shake and the rocks literally began to split open. And I can just imagine a few weeks later, these guys are praying, the ground begins to shake again and they're like, the, the power from what he did on the cross is still present right now in this moment. We can have great boldness because we're we are reminded in this moment of prayer that what Jesus did for us on the cross is valid right now. We have significance. We have value. We, we have a calling. We have a mission that God has given us. He died for us on the cross. He rose from the dead. We've all seen him. Let's go and share. We're not afraid anymore. He makes us brave. He makes us bold. He gives us the confidence. And it says they went out and with great confidence and with great boldness, they gave testimony to the resurrection of Christ. So God gives us that confidence before men to, to share His Word and to, and to bring them or invite them into a relationship with Jesus. But I just want to read verse 32. Acts chapter number 4 and verse 32 right at the end. Because I want to point out one more thing this morning before we're done. 
It says there, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So they, they pray for boldness. They get this great boldness. They go out and people are getting saved left, right, and center. And they all come together and they have this one heart, this unity that's created in this group and, and, and through every one of those relationships. And the people that had need, nobody had need anymore because, because people were literally selling their stuff and taking it to those who had a need, taking it to the apostles and, and letting the apostles give it to those that were in need. Boldness is a way of life. And boldness affects every area of our lives. It applies to every area of our lives. Let me, let me give you an example of what I mean. I'm not just naturally the kind of person who gets afraid of a lot of things. Like There's not a lot of things that scare me. I'm usually up for the challenge regardless of, of what it is. And whether it's been jumping off of cliffs or trying to do crazy things, I've been doing that stuff since I was a kid. My son is the same. That's why he already has stitches at the age of three. Um, that's just naturally how I've been. I've always been willing to, to, to do whatever I, I felt I needed to do. But what really scares me sometimes is sitting down in front of my wife and saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't have done that. Or I shouldn't have said that. And I love you and I'm going to try, I'm going to ask Jesus to, to help me to be better. That scares me. We need boldness to be the husbands that our wives need. We need boldness to be the, the wives that our husbands need, to be the, the parents that our children need. We need boldness to, to have integrity in our, in our, in our working environment and, 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 and with whatever we're doing. And so when God gives us boldness before man, He gives us the ability to start doing those things that really scare us but are the right things to do and that's a process it doesn't always just happen in an instant but God gives us that ability to be honest because it's not going to affect your worth if you admit that you failed so there's that boldness to sit down and go I messed up I'm sorry We need boldness in our relationships and in our daily lives. We need boldness to reach the city. We need confidence to have a proper relationship with God. And I mean the kind of confidence that comes from Him. And what we see here in the book of Acts, chapter number 4, is that these common, uneducated men had great confidence before any audience. They had confidence before those that were opposing them, and they had confidence when they were together in a group, so much so that they were willing to give away the stuff that they owned without giving it a second thought. Now, that is security. Where does the confidence come from? I know that God loves me. I know that He's the one who takes care of me. I can't outgive God. No matter what I give, God's going to take care of me. And so it gives us the ability to have better relationships as well with one another. So we thank God that even though the wicked flee when no one pursues, that we can keep our confidence and be bold as lions and do everything that God has called us to do through the confidence that comes from knowing His love.